It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Just a reminder that the Dear Prudence podcast happens twice a week. Slate Plus members get an additional mini-episode every Friday. Sign up now to listen at slate.com slash prudipod. We have a favor to ask. Our partner is conducting a survey and we'd be grateful for your help in answering a few questions. It'll take less than 10 minutes of your time and your participation helps support our advertisers. Please go to slatestudy.com to complete the short survey now. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week is Molly Pretty, a writer and editor living in Minnesota who likes Diet Coke, her dog, and talking about feelings. Molly, Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a long time listener. First time, <laughs> long time listener. First time Long time friend. <laughs> and um, how's, how's Minnesota today? How's Minnesota treating you? I tell you what, this place is humid, but I've had so much fun. I've been living here for about 10 days. And uh, I went to a Renaissance festival. I experienced a, a queer dance party. Um, I experienced a home game for the Minnesota Vikings. There's just so much going on here. I'm having so much fun. I am so excited for you. And I don't know that I would have guessed that the switch from Montana to Minnesota would be moving from non-humid to humid, but right? it does make sense to me. <laughs> it makes my hair look awesome, though. My skin is glowing. I, you know, it's 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 a good change. I feel like Superwoman because there's more oxygen down here. Is there really? What? Yeah. I was living that at like 3,000 feet. Here it's like 800 oh. feet. You're living at sea level, so you're basically like all the, all the oxygen. I thought you meant like Montana had less oxygen than Minnesota just as a state. And I thought that, that can't possibly be true. <laughs> we just voted it, doesn't it out. Sound real. Yeah, yeah, we don't pay yeah. enough oxygen taxes. Uh, let's leave that to the side for now. Would you please read our very first letter? It is nice and short. Sure. No problem. Uh, Dear Prudence, I met a nice lady on the train the other day. We chatted and I thought we had a connection. My problem is that I'm a recovering alcoholic. Should I tell her? I do like her, but I'm not sure that I'm in a good place at the moment for a relationship. I realize I can't expect her to understand that. I don't want her to upset her as I've met for coffee a few times. But I make excuses as to why I don't like pubs. Help. So the pubs line is what made me suspect that perhaps... This writer is from the UK. Maybe. And that's that's fine. I think the answer is probably the same either way. I think that's also fun. I just, my assumption tends to be that if you are writing from the UK, everyone sort of has a functional drinking problem. Sure. Just like as a matter of course. Um, and so there's like a slightly different vibe. It's just like the West, the American West, all cowboys. Yeah. 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 A bunch of English cowboys. Um, yeah. I, I think that this person is 
my read on this was that maybe they are in slightly early recovery because this seems like very charming, but like you're really overthinking this. Right. Um, and I, I think the answer's right in there. Like, I'm not in a place where I want to date anybody, but I don't want to upset her. So I think, honestly, she'd be more upset by feeling like she took this person around to pubs when they didn't want to be in pubs and they didn't say anything. Um, like uh, early recovery, uh, it feels like that sometimes. It feels like a trick you're playing on people. But it's not. No, not at all. I also realized uh, I had been giving myself so much credit for being like, pubs, I bet you're from the UK. And then I realized they spell the word realize with an S. And it's like, yeah, you sleuth. <laughs> you really figured it out. Um, yeah. This you is really crushed it. Yeah. Uh, um, um, yes. The point of, I think the point of meeting a couple of times for coffee, those are like low impact. Yeah. Casual proto dates right and it's kind of understood that part of what you're doing is sussing out whether or not you would like to go on um more serious dates so this is a perfectly appropriate time to say i've had a really nice time getting coffee for, with you i've realized you know i'm just not ready for a relationship right now thank you so much for the nice coffee enjoy your life like yeah. that's a perfectly normal thing to say yeah you don't have to go into the nitty-gritty of well i just gave up alcohol and it's really hard or this is really tough for me because I screwed up my last relationship with alcohol. Like, you don't even have to go into that. You can just say, hey, you're really nice. I don't want to um, give you any idea of that this is what it's not. And uh, I, I I just, we got to cut it off or be friends. Or You can tell the truth. Telling the truth in this situation is more um, attractive, frankly, and charming than not. Yeah. I, I, I think if she is a reasonable person and she hears that, she will say, oh my gosh, thank you for letting me know. Good luck on your recovery. If you ever, you know, maybe if you ever change your mind, give me a call. But that's all, you know, because especially because the other alternative is like, you know, the implication here is like, oh, I'm not sure I'm at a good place. I don't want to upset her. Like the other option is, you know, pretend you you're in a good her? place. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like pretend that this is okay and then you fall down the you go down the toilet while she thinks you're doing okay like none of that makes sense if you think it out that way yeah yeah you get to decide what you're comfortable with you are allowed to do that yeah totally makes sense that you would be like oh a couple of coffee dates were fine but Mm -hmm. i'm just not ready for anything else yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense to me and i think um you pointing out that this sounds like somebody in early recovery is is pretty dead on i remember that feeling i Gave up alcohol like six years ago and it felt like, I don't know, I was just like flashing red around my body, like telling everybody that, you know, I gave it up, can't do it, can't do it. And it it's just not that weird of a thing. Right. Um, people are used to dealing with it, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think the kind of underlying question after that is sort of like, if and when I do eventually feel ready to start dating, how am I going to tell people that I don't necessarily want to meet in pubs? Um, uh, you know, I would just say... You would want to date people who are comfortable with the fact that you are a recovering alcoholic. So it's a, and again, it's not so. I mean, I I realize that I kind of was like lightly teasing the United Kingdom earlier about the functional drinking problem thing, but like there are also sober people, people in recovery, people who just don't drink in the UK too. Like you are not the only person, and if you say that, you're not going to be like declaring yourself an outcast from society. Right, you're not some sort of unknowable. Yeah. So take this time, do what you need to do. Totally fine in the future if you're dating people, if you don't want to meet in bars or pubs to say so. Um, And hopefully nobody that you are on a date with will respond like, what is the matter with you? And if they do, they've just let you know that they will not be a good partner to you. That's exactly right. And also um, a good thing to do is if somebody brings up an idea to go to a pub for a date, have another idea ready. 
that maybe you already keep track of. Like my go-to is let's get milkshakes. Do you want to get milkshakes instead or ice cream or something? Um, And of course the classic, you can always just start dating everyone else in recovery and you don't have any meetings you can go to because it's full of your exes. (laughs) It's not anonymous anymore. That's a lighthearted joke. Please don't feel that I'm suggesting you do that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So the next one is really sad and, yeah. and just complicated and hard. And I just mm. want to acknowledge that. Um, mm-hmm. The subject is, I lost my best friend to a cult. What now? Dear Prudence, I've been close friends with Mary since the fifth grade, and we both just graduated from college. We've drifted over the years, but whenever we see each other about once or twice a year, we've always had the same deep connection. She was one of the first people who knew that I was a lesbian. She suffered a series of traumatic events her first years in college. Two of her friends died violently. According to her, this left her life in shambles. She was partying a lot and drinking too much. At the height of her grief, a Christian couple working through her secular university took her in, so to speak, and brought her into the folds of their church. Mary's family was secular, and mine was intensely and abusively religious. Mary knew the extent of this abuse, and whenever she'd spend a Saturday night at my house and go to church with us the next morning, the two of us would sit in the back of the car and joke about how horrible it all was. Recently, I learned her church not only promotes faith healing and bringing people back from the dead, but is also one of the largest churches to continue to support and push conversion therapy for gay people. All of this is masked by a beautiful, highly stylized aesthetic, millennial-friendly web brand, but it's hateful, not very deep below the surface. They have a slew of, quote, former LGBT spokespeople trying to convince their congregation and the world that anyone can change just like them. There's a lot of reports of their embezzling money and paying off local officials and police, etc. None of it looks good. I'm worried for her. If Mary had just found faith, I wouldn't say anything. But years ago, half-jokingly, half-serious, we made a pact with each other that if either of us were to become fanatically religious, the other would say something. Neither of us thought that this was a possibility, but here she is, two years in, cut off from everything in her former life, furthering the agenda of a dangerous, hateful cult church. Do I try to gently intervene? How? I'm moving far away soon, and I don't know when I'll see her again, but I feel like I owe it to her and our history together to at least try to remind her that she has support beyond the church, that there's love outside of it, and that even though these things are, quote, said in the name of love, her church's doctrines are actively harmful. I know she's cut off communication with me for the most part because I'm gay, and even if there's a big chance she won't listen to me, I feel like I have to try. Oh, man. This one, yeah, this I, one is heartbreaking. It's so painful. I think it does sound like the letter writer feels pretty clear that she's going to say something. And so I, I think it was maybe even more just like either how do I say it in a way that's designed to not bring up defensiveness or, you know, um, 
how do I sort of release myself from feeling like I have to rescue her or just how do I go about this? But it does sound like they're she's pretty clear that she needs to. Was that your read? Yeah, and I think um, what I really think that this letter writer stuck on is the idea that, you know, maybe this person was a friend from childhood and it wouldn't be such a big deal had they not made a pact specifically about this. Right. Uh, Like (laughs) back when they were talking about it and back when uh, the letter writer was suffering a bunch of abuse. Um, So... I think that's that's where the letter writer gets stuck on it. And and I understand that very much. You know, I, I think as somebody who likes to try to keep their promises to their friends, um, you know, in, in good and bad times, um, I understand the impulse to to want to intervene there. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, I, I thought it was interesting how she's moving away soon. And I thought that that's actually an opportunity um, mm. because – you know, those those natural ending points in our lifetime where we, we start a new chapter, we move, we leave. That's a natural point to to bring something like that up if um, she's ever going to or if uh, you're ever going to do it um, with your friend. And it sounds like um, the conversation could be almost relatively simple. Yeah, I think I, I totally get what you said about, you know, this is a not uncommon time for people to drift apart from even very close childhood friendships. So in that sense, I hope you can kind of release yourself a little bit from this burden of feeling like, how could this have happened? Because this often happens even without the added complication of a cult. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I also think, I, without sounding especially woo-woo, I think people often on some level are aware of the things that they're susceptible towards or drawn to and if somebody says you know at at one age hey if this ever happens to me i hope you'll say something it's because on some level they're sort of aware like oh a part of me could be drawn to the certainty of this or the love bombing of this or the um, if you if you understand it enough and you watch it enough and you're like you're still like oh this isn't for me this is you know well, we'll make fun of it in the back of the car on the way home you still know what it is and you still see it and you feel on a certain level you understand why people would be attracted to that or or want to go to that for whatever reason so i think right. there's a tiny bit of self-awareness there yeah right yeah so i think you have relatively little to lose in the sense that you already know that you're moving away soon and and you two have really stopped talking and it sounds like really stopped talking because she now views your gayness as a liability which isn't okay i mean you don't have to keep talking to somebody just because of old times if they're you know they have an abusive perspective on who you are it's totally fine to stop talking to somebody like that right and i also just want to say as as true as it is that she has suffered um i i don't think the suffering that she has experienced in any way mitigates or justifies the fact that she stopped talking to you because you're a lesbian. So sometimes I think, especially because like gay and queer and trans people can often be very used to lots and lots of rejection, there can sometimes be a sense of like, it's okay, I won't count this against this person. It would be harsh of me to consider this cruel because it happens so often and there can sometimes I think be a desire to be like additionally forgiving and accommodating and like extra extra loving in order to sort of um, be so undeniably good and loving that somebody will have to not want to um, Mm -hmm. cast us away 
I think it kind of goes back. It's sort of like the scarcity myth, you know, of yeah. like you will just date and marry whomever's around you because, oh, God, what if we run out and there's none more? But like here it's like, okay, there's only so many people who love me or who will love me. Um, there's only so many people from my past. So I'm going to endure what I shouldn't have to um, to keep doing this and, and keep getting this love from this person when really there's so much love out there and there's so many people out there and there are so many connections you can make that are genuine and whole that aren't, you know, um, conditional on you not being who you are, um, that the responsibility that you feel here for this person, I think you can just kind of let some of that go. Um, mm -hmm. um, you're not getting the respect that you're giving them right now, so... Yeah, and I think that's a really good point, too, because, again, while having compassion and, and understanding the context in which she was sort of sucked into this particular cult-style church, um, she was also an adult who who previously understood that uh, it's possible to be friends with lesbians and that that doesn't make them evil or bad. Um, and so her decision to um, not just be a part of this church with these policies, but to say, I'm going to stop talking to my gay friends that's not um, – she, she gets to be morally responsible for that choice. A hundred percent. That yeah. wasn't something they tricked her into doing. That's, that's not something she chose to do. That's activity yeah. – that's actively, you know, taking those teachings and putting them to work in her life. And that's when it goes from theory to practice. Yeah. So, again, that doesn't mean um, she is a monster or that you can't choose to forgive her. I just want to um, – I think sometimes there's a lot of even just internal pressure on queer people to forgive and excuse and understand homophobia in the people they love. Sometimes because they feel like if I don't do that, I won't have any straight people left in my life. Exactly. Um, but I just want you to be aware if you don't choose to have this conversation, if you choose to say, you know what, I'm not going to continue investing in somebody who has chosen homophobia over a relationship with me. That would be okay. Yeah. Um, it would really be okay. So all that said, if you decide to say something, I think you can kind of just say what you've told us here, which is both, I'm really hurt that you've stopped talking to me. Um, I know you've been through a lot and and I love you. And I hope you know that there are other people who will love and support and help you outside of this church. And that in order to receive love and support, you don't have to um, throw LGBT people out of a window or say that we're bad. Um, and if you ever want to leave or or change the way that you relate to queer people i hope that you will do it yeah i think that's i think that's right on the money i think you stay um as loving and respectful as you'd like to be treated and you tell the whole truth and you know you could even throw in we've been friends for a long time and i care about you and you know you can even bring in your past uh, if you want to but you you don't have to it's it's just a matter of hey, I'm hurt. Uh, this is why I think this is bad for you. I love you. You know, I hope it works out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, as you say, I think probably you're right that there's a big chance she won't listen to you. But I think it will feel good to you probably to have said this, um, both in the sense of like, I love you. I want better for you. I hope you get out. And also in the sense of, I don't deserve to be treated this way. And I hope you don't treat other gay people in your life this way. Right. Those are both important things to say. Right. Um, and then to just say, okay, beyond that, I can't control this. Life is long. Maybe in two or five or 10 years, she will come to and um, want to make amends and start living differently. And if so, I hope she can. 
but I'm going to now focus on my move, the next chapter of my life, my friends who don't suddenly cut ties with me because they um, have have decided to pursue homophobia in order to fit in um, with a friendly older couple, a friendly seeming older couple. Right. And and you have also fulfilled your promise that maybe you were feeling beholden to in childhood. Yeah. Yeah. And good luck. Write us back. I'd love to hear how you're doing in six oh, months or yeah. a year. Good luck. I'd love to know that. Would you uh, be so good as to read our next letter? Absolutely. Um, Okay. This is about an unemployed friend. Dear Prudence, my best friend has been unemployed for over a year. He submitted countless applications and had a deal of interviews, but but can't quite close the deal. It's been hard on him and his confidence has taken a hit. He's getting more and more discouraged. I've tried everything to help. I've helped him find positions to apply for, looked over his cover letters and resume, quizzed him for interviews, and suggested he take advantage of free job hunting resources offered in our area. He specializes in a very niche field, and he won't even consider taking a part-time job in the meantime. Every conversation for the past year has been about his job hunt, and I spend so much of my time and energy trying to help him with his search and boost his confidence that I'm exhausted. Nothing I say or do seems to reassure him. And I know this is really hard for him, but I'm burned out. So, yeah, you absolutely uh, get to draw a boundary here. And I'm really sorry that it took you a year to a think. A year. Is it maybe okay for me to say, let's talk about something else? Yeah, I get it. I get that, you know, economic stability is a big deal in our lives. And, you know, you want to make sure your friend's happy and, and well cared for, but... Wow, what about you? Yeah, this is way overdue. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, it's job hunting is very stressful. It's so stressful. And I get yep. the friend's, you know, inclination to want to talk about it and, you know, get some help. But they've got to be a little self-aware too and realize that, you know, uh, okay, what I'm doing isn't working. Maybe I should take advice outside of my continued course of action and maybe get that part-time job to help balance things out. Um, I don't think this has anything to do with um, the listener, you know, needing to listen more. Right. And so at this point, too, I think there might be a temptation to think like, okay, so now my new job is to really sell my friend on the idea of getting a part-time job in a different field. Um, It's just not. I, I think you have really started to reach the limit of what you can do as this person's best friend. And that doesn't mean we'll never talk about this again. But um, I, I think to really say, like, I, I can't talk about it with you today. It's just been too much. I'm feeling overwhelmed. Can we talk about something else? And if your sp- friend, after again, taking into consideration that he's going through a really rough time, but, like, if you say after a full year of being 100% available for talking about this all the time, if you say, can we talk about a movie or something that's going on in my life. And your friend's like, what? No. How could you? That is a sign that your friend is um, losing perspective. And you don't need to um, give a lot of space to that response. And you can just say, we might disagree on this, but I love you. I, I think I've been there for you in pretty meaningful ways. I need to talk about something else right now. And so if you can't do that right now, I totally get it. Let's take a little space. Let's check in again in a couple of days. Talk about something else then. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't have to be, you know, a big of you've turned our whole relationship into this and it's bad and I feel it's just, you know, hey, bud, we've been talking about this for a year and I'm just kind of burned out and I don't have the brain space for it. Uh, Can we talk about something else? And most people will say, oh, geez, 
Sorry. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I didn't realize. Right. That. And not even to ask. I think maybe just to say, let's talk about something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just just throw it out there. Just do it. Just take the lead. But, yeah. You you haven't tried saying this yet, so I think there's a decent chance that that will go well. I'd be a little more worried if you said, I tried to change the subject, but like he refuses. Um, but you just haven't ever said, by the way, I'm, I'm hitting my limit for a minute. Um Right. And you've like crushed it as a best friend. Like you're doing all the things that you can for this person aside from, you know, interviewing for them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think you can you can take some of that pressure off yourself and feel OK and confident in saying, whoop, time out. We need to talk yeah. about my life. Yeah. You, you can't care about this more than he does. No. I, I think he's doing a lot. Um, hopefully he will eventually decide to not like, you know, do the whole like work smarter, not harder thing and like get some sort of part time job that will at least enable him to like leave the house and think about something else for five minutes a day. But that you just you cannot be at this point, you cannot make your new thing now trying to sell my friend on the benefits of getting a part time job outside of his industry, because uh, then I think you're just going to feel like, OK, I have a new job when it comes to his job search and it's this new thing you've done so, so, so much. I think in the future, you can kind of set aside like maybe let's check in once a week and just let me know, like, how's it going? Um, but like my active involvement in this process is really at an end and i'm going to go back to more kind of regular friend style like Mm -hmm. updates how's it going do you think you're going to keep doing this in this particular way what are your thoughts and feelings holding space for that and then talking about something else like either he will figure out that he needs to try something different instead of just the same thing over and over again or you know it just requires more persistence and he has to keep doing that or if he has to turn to career counselor or whatever else sure. he will figure that out he's an adult with resources that aren't just you right exactly and and feeling um when a friend prioritizes their life and and assumes that it'll be a priority of yours also that you will prioritize their life over your own and they're just making that assumption people do this all the time i mean it's it's a natural thing when you're feeling stressed out um but when it's pointed out, most people will say, oh, whoops, sorry. I realize I've just been just going through this out loud um, and, and are okay with setting up boundaries. Um, so it's right. just a matter of speaking directly and honestly and openly and kindly. I mean, you can do it kindly. Right. Because, again, it's not like you two have talked about this a lot and your friend has said, no, this is totally great. Your friend, you know, friends sometimes lose perspective um, and your friend is admittedly under really tough circumstances. So I'm not saying at all, like, kick him to the curb, tell him he's a piece of shit, um, tell him to bootstrap his life or get out of yours. Um, I just mean you totally get to start setting limits here. You need to. Your friend's not going to be able to do it for you. Um, you cannot wait for him to say, gosh, but I've been talking about this for too long. What's going on with you? You need to say it. Right. Because sometimes, yeah, we do get, we just get buried. And and I, I'm guilty of this. I, I do this when I feel like my life is caving in on me and you forget that the rest of the world is happening out there. So I have compassion yeah. for it. But also, holy smokes, just, yeah. just talk about movies or something. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Talk about just a, a second thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we'll move on. We'll, uh, take one more family question, um, leaving the friend district and speeding back to family problemsville. Um, the subject is, is 40 too old to ask dad for tuition help? Dear Prudence, I'm 40 and I've been out of both my parents' homes since the age of 16. 
I'm on leave from work for a semester, finishing up a diploma I've been working on part-time for five years. I took out my meager retirement savings and a student loan to be able to do this. I want to ask my dad for help with tuition, but that's complicated. 20 years ago, my dad and stepmom refused to help with university tuition because they said they didn't want any of their money to go towards drugs. I smoked marijuana, got arrested. I had an abusive partner and a messy life, but all of that is over 20 years in the past. My stepmom and I haven't spoken since she kicked me out at age 12 for being, quote, a difficult child with honesty issues. I have no desire to reconcile with her. I'm sure that my dad and stepmom helped their two kids through college, and I'm angry that they got a leg up while my dad's, quote, old kids from his marriage to my mom get nothing. On the other hand, my stepmom makes more money than my dad, and I know that she supported him through some underemployment. Do I have any right to ask for money from them? Man, I tell you what, I was reading this letter, and when I got to, hasn't spoken to me since I was 12, yeah. that's when I decided, oh, oh, buddy. Yeah, that was so painful. I mean, oh. I just want to, I think that you know this, but I just want to stress that like a 12-year-old who's difficult and has, quote, honesty issues is a 12-year-old. That's a 12-year-old. That's every 12-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. And that your dad let that happen. Um, I'm really sorry. That's a pretty awful betrayal of your parental responsibility. And um, I'm so, so sorry that um, she did that. I'm so sorry that your dad went along with it. Um, Everything about that is hard and painful. So I think it's not even like, is 40 too old so much as like, are these people who are invested in your well-being? Right. Are these people who care about you? And Mm -hmm. I'm... Or or who care about you consistently or in a way that's actually useful. Uh, And I'm not sure about the answer to that question. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't know what you would appeal to um, or who you would appeal to in this regard, because it sounds to me like even if even okay, say even you did get the money and the tuition, then you're sort of financially beholden to these people who haven't shown you any kindness or respect really in almost 30 years. And um, then I'd, I'd be curious to see if you grew resentment about that money and, and maybe owing them or having the money and it being lorded over your head in some way. Um, I don't know. It just it feels like that's giving up uh, a considerable a considerable amount of control in a situation with people who don't sound like the most consistent. Yeah, I mean. Um. I think you can ask. I think you will probably hear no. I don't know that that would materially damage the relationship that you have with your dad. So in the sense that you have very little to lose, I, I think that's open to you. Um, if he, if you were to ask, I think this is how you should go about it. I think you should present it um, with as much like, I've thought about it and here's what I'm proposing uh, energy sort of as possible. So say like, Um, Hey, Dad, as you know, I'm finishing up a degree that I've been working towards for the last five years. I want to ask you for X amount of tuition help. Um, I understand if you can't afford it. So if the answer is no, I get it. I'm going to be able to cover it myself. But like and then say, like, you know, how much money would you want? Would you want to ask for it as a gift? Would you want to ask for it as a loan? Um, Or and if you want to kind of end that with like, here's the X amount of dollars that I think I would need to finish the degree. um, You can also say if you would be interested in contributing anything towards this. I'd appreciate whatever you could spare. Um, 
you know, and if you also wanted to, you could you could kind of name like um, I know that when I was in college 20 years ago, um, you didn't want to pay for anything because of my drug use at the time. And as you know, um, you know, like here are kind of the ways in which my life is different now. And right. here's how hard I've been working. Yeah. And, so you can kind of put on a little like respectable song and dance of like, mm-hmm. here's how hard I'm working. Um, I've uh, owned so my behavior in the past that you found so uncouth and I've dealt with it. I right. mean, and I think, you know, having an abusive partner just, it's not necessarily your fault. And that no. stuff can get really screwy. And I don't want you to think that we're telling you that, like, oh, you should be apologizing for your life. Um, but, you know. Yeah, I, I offer that as a strategy. Not because <laughs> yeah, I think, exactly. You know, I'm, I'm just looking towards, like, what do I think is the likeliest tactic to yeah. potentially get your dad to say yes? Exactly. Yeah, you got to just, you know, I think you, you treat it with as much... Um, distance while asking the question as is comfortable for you. I don't think you have to get uncomfortably close to ask this question. But I, I do ultimately think even financially, your dad's just not going to be a great resource for you. And that's going to be hard and painful. So I would encourage you to look for other places for that support. Maybe that means going back to work and asking if they're interested in doing any sort of like tuition contribution. Some workplaces do that. Um, maybe it just means you stick with like hauling out your retirement plan and doing the student loan and then starting to work to rebuild both of those things afterwards. Maybe it means um, uh, eventually uh, trying to set aside a little money to see a therapist so that you can talk about how do you deal with the fact that your father emotionally abandoned you at the age of 12, um, if not practically abandoned you at the age of 12 um, and how to reconcile that with the fact that it seems like he's been really present for the sort of second family that he started. Um, do you want a relationship with your dad at all? Um, yeah. You know, I mean, do you that, want a relationship? It, it doesn't sound like you want a relationship with your stepmother, um, yeah. but that complicates the fact that she might be the one with the money. Um, and so that's another layer, I think, that, to deal with. Yeah. But you certainly have a right to ask. They have a right to say no. Um, but I think even more than just this, like your anger makes sense to me. Your hurt makes sense to me. I think your dad was not present for you um, in a way that he should have been. And then I think it sounds like he went on to be present for other children. And I can only imagine how painful that must feel. Um I don't know how available your dad ever would be to have that conversation. I don't know if it would be more painful for you to say, I've seen you treat your other kids differently from me and that makes me feel sad and, and cast off. Would it would it feel better to say that even if it meant the two of you kind of had it out once and for all and sort of stopped talking? Or would it feel worse to say that and have your dad say either like, I don't agree, I think I've been great to you, or like, you were a shitty kid and they are better kids and that's why I treat them better like that might potentially be way more painful to hear than the sort of chilly detente you two have right now. So right, and that's sort of what I what I was thinking about with the being beholden to folks because money, I mean, it leaves a trail, and and you're you're into it now, and you have to talk. And it's, do you want to crack this open again? Is it right. worth it to you? Is your time and your emotional energy, is that all worth it to you for tuition money to crack all this open? And if it is. And if this is the maybe, um, you know, the hinge you need to open that door with your dad, then, you know, prioritize yourself and um, take care of yourself when you're headed into those conversations. But if it's not, I mean, it's just something to consider. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's 
good to ask yourself because some people would probably feel like, honestly, I've already kind of written off my dad. At least if I could get a little bit of a sense of like money out of it, that would be worth it to me. And other people who might feel like, no, the emotional stuff is way more important. It wouldn't feel worth it to feel like I owed him money or to like go asking for a gift. So I'm not going to do that. And yeah. It's definitely just up to you either way. Yeah. Yeah. I understand both of those responses. I understand any uh, response in between. Um, But I I just think in terms of the bigger question, which is like, what do I have a right to ask for from my father? The answer should be a lot, right? Like you should be, if you have a father, you should be able to expect his physical presence, his emotional presence, um, a a financial responsibility to carry you into adulthood, Um, uh, you know, his presence in terms of like teaching you how to be a person in the world and setting you up for love and companionship and and curiosity and and an interesting life. Um, Often, often, often our fathers fall very far short of that ideal. Um, And so that doesn't mean that you don't have those rights. It just means that that father has um, fallen down on the job. And so that sort of, it's hard to hold intention both like you should be able to ask him for many things. And also realistically, this man will not give you much. Mm-hmm. There's the idealized and then there's reality. And it's whether or not you want to face the very real reality of this to try to figure out and get to the idealized you know, version of what you think you deserve. And I'm sorry that you have to choose um, I'm sorry that it's a, ooh, it's a tough situation. Yeah. And good luck. Yeah. Um, either way, you're only a semester off from finishing, and that's remarkable. Congratulations on almost woo, being woo. done. You're going to graduate. It's going to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. So we do have time, excitingly, uh, for both, I think, this last letter and a voicemail, which okay. we have not done in a very long time. Excellent. Um, so I'm excited. Are you up for it? Are you up for a, a slight surprise? Yes. Bring it on. Yes. You are indomitable, Molly. (laughs) I'm sorry, you are unsinkable, I should have said. The unsinkable Molly Pretty, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I'd watch that musical with Debbie Reynolds. (laughs) Can you imagine a butch Debbie Reynolds? Oh my God, I was just thinking about it. She would, she'd crush it. She'd make me ashamed to be a butch, I'm sure. Like, I'd just be like, I'll never be as good of a butch as Debbie Reynolds. (laughs) Look, if Doris Day could pull off, like, soft butch, I think Debbie Reynolds could have done it. By the way, would you characterize Calamity as soft butch? Like, mm-hmm. how do you... Did you see that, by the mm-hmm. way? Did you see the old Calamity Jane? Mm-hmm. Like, does she register as soft butch to you? Does that feel like an accurate term? Yeah, kind of. I just... To me, it does, it's anybody who, like, owns their masculinity in that way. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's really a fun part of that show. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, it does read to me that way. I mean, yeah. maybe that doesn't look like the modern butch, but definitely has some of that, you know, wink and nod. I mean, I certainly have had a handful of thoughts or feelings about Doris Day as Calamity Jane once or twice over the course of my you? life. You? Yeah, yeah. Weird, I know, right? But that's oh, neither man. here nor there. No. Molly? I mean, I mean, it's fine. You know what's here and you know what's there is this next letter. Okay, this bring next it on. This person who has a problem. The subject is keep a distance. Hmm. Dear Prudence, I've been friends with Maggie for five years. We get along very well. But she has a tendency of saying hurtful things to her other friends and associates, with the result that many of them keep her at arm's length. I've seen her create toxic social environments by preemptively starting fights, verbal, not physical, making wild accusations, and criticizing people in a harsh or cruel way. 
As someone who knows her well, I know that her behavior is closely linked to the extremely traumatic childhood that she experienced. Her behaviors today seem to mirror the ways that she learned to survive as a child, and this breaks my heart. She's been in therapy for a while now and seems to get something out of it, but I know that her healing journey may last a lifetime. For a long time, I tried to be the friend who gently pointed out her behavior without making her too defensive, with mixed results. Recently, I've had mutual acquaintances tell me that it was hard for them to be friends with me as long as I am friends with her, given how much she had hurt them. They've gotten angry with me for being, quote, soft on her. Do I have a moral obligation to distance myself from her? At what point does my gentle prodding become complicity? I love her, and I like being around her, but I feel guilty for being friends with her after she has hurt so many people. Hmm. That's a tough one. I mean, I think, yeah. I think there's this... This always just reminds me of of the the impulse to be the one person who the the poisonous snake doesn't sting or doesn't bite. You know, like there's like that one. You're the one person who can survive the scorpion's bite. So there's, you know, you're in there and it feels kind of cool. And you're like, well, I, I want to be this friend's this this person's friend, and um, I'm basically the only one who can do that. And um, there's kind of an interesting thought process that goes along there, but. Um, there really are, and, and you can understand your friend from the inside um, and understand their intentions and their motives, but um, you can't ignore the real world um, ripple effect that sometimes these people can have. And gentle prodding um, with somebody who reacts, sounds like toxically and, and, and largely like just a big reaction to things, it, gentle prodding is not going to do anything. So you either have to start speaking that person's language and say, look, you're screwing things up. You're screwing things up for me. I'm being going to be very straightforward here. I know you had a tough past, and I know things are hard for you, but you being a dick to everybody else isn't going to fix that. And you being a dick to everybody else is actually making it harder for you, and it's making it harder for me. And sometimes I feel like people who are toxic and push people away like that, they do it as a defense mechanism, and they see it as nobody's ready for me, nobody can handle me, um, they can't handle my honesty or they just, I'm, I'm, I'm toxic and nobody can touch me. It's like there's, there, there can be a double there and they can also know how toxic they are too. And so it's a matter of just speaking in clear terms, straightforward to them and just saying, hey, like <laughs> snap out of it for two seconds and listen to me because this is serious and this could have real repercussions. Yeah, I think two of the things that I think are most worth unpicking is like I, I've talked sometimes before on the show about how uh, I generally don't like using the word toxic to apply to someone. Mm-hmm. I think it, partly because it, it kind of, you know, like as you said, like with a scorpion, like it makes it sound like somebody is by their nature venomous um, and, and incapable of not causing harm to others. And and even if somebody is choosing to behave abusively, I think that's different from um, the, the kind of describing them as like this is their nature. Right. Um, and it also because I think be. it's I think it's often vaguer than it needs to be. Like if, if somebody is cruel, say cruel. If somebody is abusing someone, say they're abusing someone. If someone's being rude, say they're being rude. Like the word toxic feels like it's if I've used almost. the word toxic, I'm allowed to not be close to this person or be nice to this person or like them or something. But uh, yeah, that, I think that's why it, it it I think we need to replace it with other words whenever possible. Oh, we need to get um, more specific for sure. Yeah, but that, I mean, all that said, I think... Uh, it, 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 I, I agree why you picked that word. It sounds like she is a, 
at the very least, a big, big jerk. The stuff about wild accusations, I'd love to know more about what that's like because that could potentially be um, deeply, deeply manipulative, cruel, um, designed to engender panic and fear and control other people. Um, that's pretty bad. So, and then I think the other thing that I wanted to to acknowledge is this idea of like, do I have a moral obligation to distance myself from her? Um, and again, I think that goes into the like, um, either she is a an okay person because she suffered a lot, and therefore because I understand her suffering and I can contextualize it, um, I should be her friend. Or her context doesn't matter. She's done too many bad things. She's not a person worthy of association. And I should edge away from her so other people like me. And I think a better way of thinking about this is simply um, choices have causes and effects. She has chosen to mistreat and hurt a lot of people. And they have decided as a result, reasonably, I think, not to like her. They may then choose to say, because you hang out with her and I think your responses to her are at best gentle, I don't trust you. They have every right to not trust you. And you either get to decide, you know, this hurts in a way that I don't want to, um, like I want to change. And I think that they're right not to trust me um, because of the way that I've thrown my lot in with hers. And I want to more publicly, um, you know, challenge the things that she says and does and push her to stop doing them. Or um, to really own my choice of saying, you know, she's nice to me. If this means the people that she turns off no longer like or trust me anymore, I'm willing to do that because I like her friendship so much. You know, I think those are more your options rather than like um, what you're saying is I don't like that other people don't like me because I've been making an easier choice for myself. Um, and, And the idea that the moral choice would be now to denounce her as if that would sort of like excuse the way that you've excused her before. I think you're sort of looking for like a way to like word problem your way out of this so that no one's mad at you. Right. I think I think this is the um, letter writer coming to terms with a little bit of self-awareness here and knowing that um, friends, you know, by association, you know, if, if you're not condemning what your friend is saying, you're condoning it, those sort of things we kind of forget, you know, our individual boundaries. Um, but they do leak. Oh, that does leak onto us, our friends' choices and then us. Um, part of being good friends is is telling your friends when they're being shitty people. And um, if you're not doing that for your friends um, or you are and they're not responding, um, then you've got some choices to make on who you're hanging out with. But again, if, if this is somebody who um, you'd prefer to be friends with over everybody else, um, anybody who's, who's giving up their friendship with you because of this person, then that's your choice too. But... Um, what we're telling you to do with your person of being like, hi, very straightforward. Um, this is what's happening. Here's my predicament, you know, with you and and how other people are perceiving you and me by um, just standing next to you. Um, that's what your friends are doing right now to you. They're saying, hey, look, we don't like that person. And you are <laughs> enabling them. Uh, essentially, you're not standing up for them, and we don't we don't feel like we're we're getting friendship right now. So that's the pressure that you're feeling, and and you can put that on your own friendship. You need to use that scrutiny to look at your own friendship. But yeah, some somebody's going to get upset because that's just how these things go. Yeah, and, and so I think like 
you have brought a lot of compassion to her circumstances. I would encourage you to extend some of that compassion to other people. It's yeah, possible exactly. that some of the people she has treated cruelly or started fights with or wildly accused of something it sounds like you know didn't happen um, also had traumatic childhoods and yet do not choose to re-traumatize other people. Um, and so I think you have really reached your limit of bringing up her childhood when frankly it doesn't even sound like she has brought it up like it sounds like you're working harder to find justifications for her behavior than she is right um so i you know conscience prickling essentially yeah yeah i'm really sorry she had a traumatic childhood i'm really glad that she's seeing a therapist um she is an adult and she has a moral responsibility not to harm other people um if you see her treating other people in these ways and you decide not to say anything, and then other people decide they can't trust you as a result, that makes a lot of sense to me. So yeah, I think it's a pretty clear flowchart from up here. Yeah, I, I think the work for you now is to kind of figure out, um, it sounds like really the problem for you is you want everyone to like you and think well of you, and you want to that happen, you want that to happen um, even when um, you've witnessed somebody harm somebody else. Uh, so what you want is kind of impossible. You want to never upset anyone. You want everyone to think well of you. You want everyone to like you even when they don't like each other. It's not going to happen. So acknowledging that what you want is impossible, the question is just, have I not said these things because I feel so, so bad for my friend? Or have I not said these things because I know as soon as I do, she will turn on me too? And I think maybe that's a little bit more of it than I'm just so compassionate. Because I think you can compassionately say, that was really cruel. You shouldn't have done that. Oh, I think that's um, the compassionate thing to do other than you can't just let somebody continue exhibiting those behaviors unchecked. I think that's just mean to them if you know better. Yeah. So, you know, um, this may involve, you know, talking out with a therapist of your own ways that you can respond differently to your friend. Mm -hmm. um, this may involve going back to some of these people and saying, I understand and I appreciate why you need to keep your distance. I am reconsidering this right now. Um, if you ever have any thoughts about something that you think might be helpful, I am willing to listen. That does not mean you have to come up with ideas for what I should do next. Um, I just want you to know that I'm taking this under serious consideration and then to start thinking about what would it look like if I challenged my friend? Mm -hmm. And how would I want to respond if I said something reasonable and compassionate, but that drew a limit and she responded venomously and it turned out um, what I thought of as a long-standing loving friendship was in fact pretty much just dependent upon my being really easy to get along with and compliant and not saying anything when she behaves badly. And that's a that's a hard realization too. I mean, it's hard to feel like you've been had, but it's an important conversation to have with your friends. Yeah. So, you know, good luck. I'd love to hear back from you. Mm -hmm. um, your friend is no longer um, a traumatized child. She's an adult with a therapist. Um, and, and that doesn't mean she can't feel pain, uh, but it does mean you don't need to treat her like a child you just picked up off the street. You can treat her like an adult with resources. So try that for a while because if her, healing journey, if her healing journey kind of right now just looks like she keeps doing the same shit she always did, but she sees a therapist, she's not, she's not healing. No, she's just trying to be more aware of it for some reason. I don't understand. Yeah. So I think you can love a little bit more um, honestly than the way you have been displaying love towards her previously. Yes. And that's actually loving her better. So. Yep. So we have time now for voicemail. Okay. Bring it on. I think the way that we're going to do this is Phil is going to do something very high tech, which is hold his laptop up to the microphone and press play. <laughs> yes, Phil. Dear Prudence, 
I worked in retail and customer service for 20 years until three years ago when I got training and started working in a machine shop. I love it. I have a lot of pride as a tradesperson, and I get to flex my feminism on crusty old white dudes. I find that I really love making things. However, I'm having a moral dilemma. From the start, I refused to work anywhere that made firearms or weapons, and I considered myself lucky to find a shop that didn't make something for that industry. I thought I was on morally safe ground, but now I found myself making parts that will be used in a device that will be used on the border to catch people trying to cross illegally. I am vehemently opposed to our country's new border policy. I hate that our country treats refugees as criminals, especially when it's our own foreign policies that create refugees in the first place. I hate the idea that something I make is ultimately helping ICE to find people. My husband says I'm reading too far into things, but this is a nagging thought that I have while I'm working. Should I look for a different trade, or can I hold my head high? Thanks, pretty. Bye. Yeah, don't do it. Oof. Yeah, you can find a different trade. Find, not even a trade. Just find somewhere else to work or start your own business. Or, you know, if something is prickling your moral sensibilities every day that hard, listen to it. Yeah, don't do it. This is super straightforward. It's yep. against your beliefs. It should be against your beliefs. It's objectively bad. Yep. Uh, don't do it. Just don't do it. And it's people like that who refuse to do those things that actually make the difference in the world. Um, that's uh, an everyday heroic bravery. I, I think that's the kind of bravery that um, actually shows you care um, and is the harder kind of bravery. But, uh, um, yeah, just don't do it. Yeah. Yep, just don't do it. Hold your head high. You will enjoy being able to hold your head high. It will feel uh, good and important not to do this. Don't do it. You'll still have the skills that you've got, and you'll know in your heart that you've made the right decision, and that'll give you more confidence as you are headed into job interviews where somebody's going to snap you up. Yeah. My only troubled moment here is my husband says I'm reading too far into things. And I was just like going back over that. And I was just like, okay, you're against the uh, policy about treating refugees like criminals. Good. I'm against that too. I don't think you should treat people fleeing violence or like horrible climate change like a criminal. Right. Um, uh, If I worked for this company, I would be building a machine that ICE would use to like harm those people. Uh, Therefore, I don't want to do it. Like, how is that reading too much into it? I'm curious what your husband thinks is the too far apart. I think the husband thinks thinking about it is too far. I don't think yeah. he likes that prickle of consciousness. I would I would ask your husband to tell you more about why he thinks that. Right. And like have a tough conversation there. Mm-hmm. Because that feels uh it feels like a warning bell to me. That's a pretty big say. divide right there. I mean, of just like, eh, don't worry about it, don't think too hard about it, versus I am worried about it and I am thinking yeah. hard about it. Yeah. Pretend this machine would be used to give ice cream cones to puppies. Right. Um, Different kind of ice. Yeah. It's. <laughs> oh, no. Um, yeah. It's super bad to help ice. Don't do it. Anyone listening to the show, don't help ice. Don't help ice. Make anyone who works for ice's life and job more difficult in whatever way you can, from small ways to big ways. And if you work for ice, quit. Yep. Quit and spend the rest of your life trying to make amends. Mm-hmm. Molly. You are, as always, a delight. Oh, Daniel, of course. I enjoy all of our moments together. So many good moments. I hope that the humidity continues to do wonderful things for your hair and life. My skin looks luxurious. That doesn't surprise me in the least. (laughs) Thanks for having me. This was really fun. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Get out of here. Okay, bye, Phil. for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. 
head to slate.com slash dear prudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you may hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. The person who's going to look like a fool is her. Like yeah. the thing that people will be talking about. at the. And again, it's not going to ruin anyone's wedding experience. No one's going to get confused and be like, oh, my God, are you the real bride? Is that the bride? <laughs> right. So right. like in, in terms of like it's shitty in the sense that it definitely signals um, I don't consider this to be your day. Right. I'm going to demand attention and possibly behave unreasonably in other ways. And that's genuinely unpleasant. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash prudipod.